Support for Class Dismissed comes from School Status. School Status helps educators at every level take control of student data for increased outcomes and meaningful stakeholder engagement. Find out more at SchoolStatus.com. You are listening to Class Dismissed, Episode 149, and I'm your host, Nick Ortego. This week, did closing schools help slow the spread of COVID-19? Some experts say there's a way to find out. Stay with us. Class Dismissed is the podcast that inspires educators through story. Each week, we cover some of the hottest topics and news in the world of education. Plus, we hear from a guest with a bright idea for education that you can apply in your community. This week, a new documentary was just released about a teacher hitting burnout. We'll talk to the filmmaker. Hello, everybody. Nick Ortigo here. Today is May the 4th, and we are joined by our friend and co-host, Principal Christina Pollard. Christina, May the 4th be with you. Indeed, indeed. Do you even know what I'm talking about when I say May the 4th be with you? <laughs> no. It's a Star Wars <laughs> reference. I didn't think you would know. I want, uh, you played it off pretty well. You were like, indeed, and I was like, she doesn't know what I'm talking about. It's uh, This is like a big Star Wars day, because it's like, may the force be with you, oh! and then it's become like, may the fourth be with you, and um, Disney released the new Star Wars on Disney Plus today, and all sorts of Star Wars stuff going on, so if you're a nerd like me, you knew what I was talking about. Well, I'm a nerd, but I've never been big on Star Wars, I'll be honest. I know, I understand. So, um, how are you? How has um, the, I guess you're getting close to wrapping up the school year, right? I mean, we're just a few we weeks We are. Away. We are getting close. In fact, today I sent out a newsletter to parents, kind of guiding them on end of year procedures and what we're going to do about awards day, promotion, final grading, all of those things. It's it's time and also making preparations to do final checkouts with teachers. I asked my son uh, over the weekend, I was like, so how are you going to get your books back? So and he didn't know. So tell me, how how do kids get all their the stuff back to the school that they may have? Well, one of the things that we're doing is um, just kind of taking an inventory in our classrooms. We're setting up a staggering schedule for teachers to be on campus and identify um, any personal belongings left in their classroom. We are bagging them and putting the child's name on it. And then we're going to set up a schedule and make arrangements for for parents to come by. Um, In the instance of high schools, when you know they have multiple books checked out to the students, possibly books in their lockers or athletic materials or whatnot in lockers, um, they're setting up, they're going to set up a a rotating schedule, probably based on alphabet, um, if not by grade level, and then allow students to come and return things that they have in a safe manner following CDC regulations because the teachers cannot complete checkout without having 100% of their um, school-owned resources returned by students. Yeah, that that might be a challenge. Hopefully that works out okay. I saw, you were talking about athletics. I saw in Alabama, the state superintendent of education is basically saying if, if things don't get crazy, we don't see another surge, which we very well still could, um, it sounds like they're going to have this two-phase process in the summertime, um, starting with like phase one, where they take about 10 students and allow them to come back to school for athletics in the month of June, and then maybe even some summer schooling also in small formats. Um, And then as things kind of progress into, I guess, July, they may try to expand that a bit. And it seems like they only want to kind of test it with the older kids because they have a better understanding of the importance of social distancing. Have you heard stuff like this? 
Absolutely. Um, many districts are discussing um, taking it slow and working with older students to see what type of accommodations will need to be provided um, to get athletics and um, student activities back rolling. But also, we're required by our state superintendents, which in turn are required by the CARES Act to develop some type of summer enrichment and remediation for students. And so we've got to have that plan in um, pretty quickly to our state superintendent. I'm sure there's a national deadline for state superintendents. And so everyone is really looking at what will this look like? What will impact um, the services we can provide? How many teachers are willing to serve in summer school? Because you have to remember that contractually, teachers' days are almost up. Um, so there will be additional funding required um, for that tutorial support. And if you can get this perfected, it really gives you insight on how to plan for opening in August. You mentioned the CARES Act. So yeah, from what I understand, every district is going to have access to some federal dollars um, because of all of this. What are you hearing like in terms of like, how do we spend this? Where does this make most sense to spend that money? Well, there are regulations surrounding the entire process of um, the education stimulus money. First and foremost, states and school districts have to show a solid plan to successfully continue distance learning. And that can involve infrastructure upgrades, um, device purchasing, um, training for teachers, students, and parents, and then sustainability. Because if you start purchasing inexpensive items like Chromebooks are as cheap as $150, now in three years they're you know considered outdated so you got to have some type of plan for sustainability do you think we are going back to the classroom in the fall I do think we will go back in the fall I don't know what it will look like if we'll have a rolling type attendance if it will be certain days for face-to-face -face, if it will only be the bottom 25 percent getting face-to-face -face, I don't know but I do see us going back and do you anticipate your teachers, the people that report to you, to wear masks as they're teaching in the classroom? Right now, it looks like it's going to be necessary. But I'm also, when I make the comment that I think we'll be back in the fall, I don't know if that means August. It could very well mean October. And by then, we could have you know, some type of vaccination out. We Science is moving really fast. And so if they don't have it to where there's something that we can take to protect ourselves, it will be very interesting to see students and teachers wearing masks, but we will have to do what's best for safety of all. Right. I, th I think everyone would agree with you on that. It's just, it's just like it's starting to become a reality that that, that may be where we are, where these teachers, especially right. your, your older teachers, the more vulnerable teachers or teachers with an underlying condition. I mean, Correct. I would expect that they would take all precautions necessary in order to to lead their class. And um, it's just it's just weird when it starts to become a reality that this is where we're headed in a matter. I guess we're two and a half, three months away. And like you said, we may push back that start date, um, which may make but a lot even, of sense. But even with that, it looks very different for um, primary grade levels, pre-K mm -hmm. through second grade, you're talking about a lot of learning that occurs on learning mats, on the floor, close together. Um, younger children can't help but to hug and touch and right. grab on the, the staff. So there has to be a different plan for primary classrooms also. And a lot of discussion is happening right now because we don't know 
what to do about that. I personally can't see myself running a school and not loving on and hugging my students because that's important to their social emotional health is when you're checking in with students, say first thing in the morning, I high five and I hug every child that comes in the building. If I can't do that anymore, that's a major piece that I think will be missing mm-hmm. from the school culture and taking care of children. Absolutely. And it, and it's tough. It's like I've, I've been working hard with my five-year-old, you know, to, you know, give, give that person their space. Like if we're near the grandparents or, right. you know, sometimes like her older brother will come by the house um, who's now in college and, and she's so excited. She just wants to get near him, you know, and I'm like, you know, back up. That's right. I can't imagine having 30 kindergartners or, or, you know, and trying to get them to be calm at certain uh-huh. times and also respect a, t- a, a kindergartner teacher's space their own for their own personal health reasons it's That's just right. it just really seems challenging um and you know hopefully like you said the science will continue to advance and, and maybe even just a treatment and better contact tracing and so forth i don't know how many people keep up with this but just last week um apple and android google um actually receded they call it like they put out the early release of an update to their phones which will have contact tracing via a low powered Bluetooth. And so basically what that means is this, and I've seen screenshots from it because there are some developers out there that are now testing this. Have you heard of this? Do you even know what I'm talking about yet? No. Okay. So, so these two major companies, they have developers from both of their companies working on this and they are putting out on everyone's phone. I think you're going to have to opt in. It's not automatic, but you turn it on. And basically what it does is say you and I don't know each other and we both go to Walmart and we walk by each other without us saying who we are. The phone is registering that we were near each other, okay? But it won't tell, like, nothing's recorded, like, Christina Pollard was here, and it, you'll, I'll never know, like, who you are. That data won't be shared. But then if you go to, I guess, the, the doctor, and it turns out you have coronavirus 10 days later, there, there's some sort of trigger that takes place. Like, you may have to tell your phone, like, I am diagnosed with this. And then anyone that you walked near with your phone and their phone, it will notify that person. And it'll never say who you were but it'll say you were near somebody who was later diagnosed. And I mean, it is a a privacy thing, which is probably going to raise some eyebrows, but it also could be a key to letting people know that they may have been exposed to coronavirus. What do you think of that? That's, that's scary. (laughs) Right. The technology is there and it is, it is actually being tested. Wow. I, I, I really don't know what to say about that because you will have some people who will feel like that's a bit too much. See, for me, While, I'm like turn it on. Like I but but you're right. Yeah, Every, like many of us want to know, but then, you know, are we infringing on rights? Your personal data as if it being you. Like you, you might as well it's like a number. So it's like number 1,337 walked by number 976,000 and all that the phone is transferring is the fact that those two numbers came near each other. And so then when that first number says I had coronavirus, it'll notify all those other numbers who also had it. So it removes the person. Now you have to trust the Googles and the Apples of the world. And I I truly believe that their intentions are but good. Even with that, we talk about the the dark world of the internet mm-hmm. and hackers. What if um Hackers found a way to identify you. With the technology that, say, Apple uses with your face or your fingerprint, they have proven that they have ways to uh, purge that data and almost like they never actually have what 
what's important. The companies don't. Um, so, I mean, there will have to be some trust there, but they're claiming, I think, that your personal data will not be used or kept. It's only to say that you came near somebody else. And and it's because it's this low-powered Bluetooth technology, it shouldn't drain your battery at the same time on your phone, but it would always be working. I don't know. We'll see. I don't think there's enough people talking about this, but this is apparently coming in like a month to two months. And wow. Everyone should be having it in an update that'll be pushed to their iPhone. I think that's pretty amazing um, technology. I think I would definitely want the information so that, you know, I can protect myself, protect my family. But just thinking about all of the people that go against so much of what we're trying to do in the world, somebody's going to complain about that. Oh, no doubt. And that's why you'll have to opt in. And there'll be people who you probably walk by who aren't opted in, and they may have had COVID-19, and you'll never know. But if, if the more people that opt in, I guess the better it works and so forth. We'll see. Stay tuned on that one. I just wanted to throw that out there because I know a lot of people aren't uh, tech nerds I like me. I can't wait to get yeah. an update. So uh, the, another another story that I really uh, found interesting was in the New York Times. And it was about um, whether or not closing schools, did it actually help? And no one really knows for sure. But there's some cancer doctors who are, um, they're actually cancer data researchers. So they use data to track cancers and whether or not different treatments work and so forth. And they have a suggestion on how, by the way we reopen schools, they can learn a lot of whether or not closing schools even did anything. I guess the easiest way to describe it is you would have one school stay closed on purpose for about 14 days and the other school slowly reopen and it will all be tracked. Everyone will be tested um, from both samples, the closed school all those students and teachers, and then the one that's actually opening in part with like 50% capacity and a six uh-huh. foot distance rule. And they'll see was there a difference. And then there's like another stage after that. I- I'm not going to dive into all the details of how they say to do this. But I think relatively short period of time, I think they say in six weeks, if everyone follows their plan, they would be able to know if closing schools actually worked or not, which could be, you know, eye opening and what we do down the road. Thoughts? Well, it could be eye opening. But one factor I don't think a lot of people are thinking about is with so many of the changes that are being discussed um, for the future, it's going to impact funding. And here's one thing I want you to think about. Mm -hmm. Generally, in a let's just go with seventh grade classroom, you can probably have up to 33 students. um, That's the legal cap in a seventh grade classroom. If now you can't have more than 10 people in the classroom space and all must be six feet apart, then you're going to need so many more teaching units. Who's going to fund that when we're already short uh, in many states and, you know, struggling as it is? I I agree with you. That's big picture. Like that's what most of us are going to have to do. But I think if they were to do this just in one area, let's just say some someone did the test in California um, Mm -hmm. and you could do it with a few schools just to learn is was that necessary to close all the schools or not? Like we can actually prove it with data. I mean, my hypothesis would be it was that it was definitely necessary. I agree. But uh, I think we need just the science and the data to back it up. Now, you bring up a really interesting point that's totally different direction for me that I'm very curious about. So I I know in Mississippi, attendance is tied to funding in a very big way. And like at at my son's high school, um, you get to be exempt on exams if you have a certain GPA in the class, but you have 
I guess, perfect or near perfect attendance. Like there's those type of incentives. And the reason that's done, let's be honest, is because funding is attached to that attendance. Where is like the state of Mississippi on that? Has that been that are they dropping that next year? Has that been discussed yet? It has. If it has been discussed, it has not been released yet. Because it because that would seem unfair and actually bad for public health if they were still motivating schools to have perfect attendance. Am I wrong on that? Well, you can, well I, I don't want to say that you're wrong, but let me just give you a different view. Okay. Attendance doesn't necessarily have to include physically being present. If we just hypothetically, if we go to three days a week dis- distance learning, two days a week face to face, you'll be held accountable for being in that distance learning classroom. That's attendance. If we're going to correct infrastructure, if we're going to use CARES Act money to Im- increase or improve the access to internet, if we're going to make sure every single child has a device, tell me why they could not wake up, have breakfast, and log into their distance learning classroom. I guess what I'm saying is, all right, so right now, my son is um, enticed to have good attendance, so he will be exempt from an exam. And so if my son comes down with a But those same things could could apply if we equipped the children to be able to participate. Uh, Okay, so you're saying even if he's sick, he still reports to class remotely? You you very well could. I mean, I guess I guess I just don't want to see kids say, you know what, I'm not feeling top notch, but I'm going to go one more day because I may be all right, um, and I'm I'm still on track to be exempt on my exam. And I just feel like that's a bad motivation. Just for the distance learning portion, because we don't know if one of the new procedures is going to be that everyone has to have their temperature taken as they enter the building. It's true, but you also could be, yeah, the whole temperature thing, I I know restaurants are looking into it, theaters and stuff, but I mean, Mm -hmm. the science says that you can be asymptomatic. And in fact, I think, where did I see a story? It was a meat plant. It was in, um, I saw a link to it on the Drudge Report today, actually. Here it is. 373 asymptomatic carriers at one meat packing plant. And let me see, this is actually on CNN is where it links to. Wow. And they were just able to test everyone because that's another discussion about expanding tests. Well, I think when they had the outbreak at these plants, they did start testing everybody to try and and figure out what they were up against. And and just that the numbers are that high is is just remarkable that these people, that many people didn't know they had it. Oh, I feel fine. And they're still handling meat around their coworkers and so forth. Uh And, And that's really what worries me about the young population at schools is you could have potentially hundreds. If we don't actually get to where we can quickly test an entire school or at least an entire class, How many of those kids could be asymptomatic next fall? So I could stand in front of my classroom and teach all of my students, whether it's 10 of them or the normal 28, and the air conditioning is cycling Uh that air in that room. And while they're asymptomatic, here I am. Exposing yourself. That's right. Yeah. It's... um, I don't know. It, it is. It is. I think we still have a long ways to go. And I know in the latest um, bill that Congress just passed, there was a lot more funding for testing specifically to give to states and improve that type of testing to where you could quickly get tests for schools or, or wherever workplaces. Okay. But um, I just I just want to hear more about that. I feel like we until we get that down, it's going to be tough to reopen next fall. And, and I think it's going to unfold and change quite a bit until we actually get to um, some procedures that we can test out. Right. No doubt. Well, I, so I don't know. I mean, I guess if I'm hearing you correctly, you feel like, yeah, we're, we're probably starting back next fall, but it's going to be a mixture still of some distance learning in there. 
you think? I, yes. Yes. And I do not think that we will start on our traditional, what we do here in Mississippi during um, the month of August. And, and that's interesting you say that too, because the South typically um, starts in the month of August. And then like the East Coast, they normally start after Labor Day, which is early September. Same with West Coast. That's right. We may look at um, participating in a year round model, which, you know, a lot of schools on the West Coast already do that. Um, again, it may be two days face to face, three days distance learning. We just don't know right now. A year round model kind of makes sense in the sense that you could go for a little while. The building every, you know what I mean? Exactly. Do they you would have major this, clean every few weeks. Yeah, you could do a major clean. And also it gives you some breathing room. It's like you go for a month and then it's like, all right, how's everyone doing? How are we? You know? Do we, right. do we need to go back? Um, gosh, that that kind. Of, are you hearing any serious talk about that in the state? Of There's a lot of discussion. There's a lot of discussion about it nationwide. To be honest. Okay. Yeah. No. I mean that that this might be the the thing that pushes the year round school um, kind of over the hill there. I guess so. It should be uh-huh. interesting to see it play out. Well, Christina, again, we we so much appreciate your time and talking through these unknowns with us. But I, I think it's something that's on the forefront of everyone's mind, and it's becoming a reality of what we're going to do in the fall. So, thank you. Absolutely. You're welcome. Anytime. Are you ready for the bright idea? Yes. Bring it on. Our guest in today's bright idea segment is a filmmaker, actually the first filmmaker to come on the class dismissed podcast. Todd too has put together a documentary that follows a special ed teacher from Texas who has hit teacher burnout and has decided to leave his position. That teacher then turns to music and the platform of music to tour the country and create a discussion about teacher burnout in public education and specifically special education where he originated. Todd uh, actually brings us along for this entire ride in his documentary titled When It Breaks. Todd, welcome to Class Dismissed. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm excited because I watched the trailer for this and I thought it was great. Like, I mean, you were clearly a skilled filmmaker and you clearly invested a lot of time in, I guess, the main character who his his real name is is Conrad Wirt. Am I saying that right? Yep. Yep. Uh, what made you want to do this? Like, why take this story on? Yeah. So um, sort of the, the brief version is um, I knew I knew of Conrad uh and his music, he performs under the stage name uh, Possessed by Paul James. And that's um, a combination of James, his grandfather, and Paul, uh, his dad. Or I might have that switch. But it was that's his stage name, Possessed by Paul James. And so I knew of his music through that. And through his music, um, I started to get to know him starting way back in like 2008. And I was really taken by... Um, sort of the level of passion that he was bringing to what was basically folk music, but done in a really intense way. He and I became friends, and as a filmmaker, I was curious about making music videos for his music and maybe like short documentaries. And so we did some of that and collaborated in that way. And I always knew that he was a special education teacher by day, sort of used this music on the side, like weekends and summer Mm -hmm. tours um, to one, to express himself and share art, but also to supplement his income as a special ed teacher in Texas. Um, So uh, I was... Everybody that sort of knew him knew this was sort of a fascinating story. Um, 
but there wasn't really too much to tell outside of that until uh, it, it was coming up to 2015 and he had confided in me that he he had totally hit burnout and um, just was not... <laughs> um, you know, he, it was an, inter- Conrad's an interesting guy. So he, I remember the first time it came up, it was almost an aside. He was like, oh yeah, I, I, you know, I've done a lot of thinking about it and it's, I'm, I'm struggling with the workload, which is, you know, at that time he was putting in 50 to 60 hours a week. Um, and, and literally feeling burnt, burnt out. Like he, he was talking about how, um, you know, he would come home from work and then he's got two small children and just didn't have the energy to invest in them. And then, you know, that causes a rift, uh, you know, in his case, he's, he's got a partner, Jenny, and then his two boys. And so your family life starts to suffer because you're unable to devote the time to them. And it was very difficult to come to the crossroads of leaving teaching because there's so much purpose in that position. There's so much value in that position. Yeah, there's still feelings of guilt right now. Like, we're doing this as opposed to thinking about getting ready in August to teach. We did a podcast on teacher burnout, gosh, a year and a half ago. Um, And we had an expert from a psychology background talk about it. And just basically saying that burnout is a real thing. Um, I mean, this is not just a a term. Um, And the interesting thing is we talk about teachers getting burnout a lot on the show, but that episode from a year and a half ago still gets web hits today because that means that people are googling teacher burnout and somehow through search engine optimization our podcast is is getting thrusted somewhere on, on a page and uh kind of high up and it just shows you that like this is a common problem amongst all teachers so i guess with conrad and you're having this discussion with him at what point was he like i've gotta quit like i've gotta i've gotta do something else you know i i I can't say exactly. I know um, we began our film in uh, the summer of 2015 is when we started. So I think he knew probably by the turn of the year coming into 2015 that he wasn't going to be able to return and that he was going to have to try something else. Um, And so that's when we kind of started having these conversations where – you know, for me as a documentary filmmaker, I was like, the more personal the story is, the mm-hmm. more it's going to end up um, being able to appeal and speak to a larger number of people, right? Because like, just like you said, teacher burnout is a real thing and people are affected by it all over. And I thought, um, you know, this is important, especially in the area of special ed. If we're not able to stand up uh, and, and tell people what teachers are going through, then, then nobody knows. I know some of our listeners know I, I shoot a lot of video too. And, and to tell a story like this, and, and I'm going to let you go into how you did this, but I imagine you you had to be very invasive like in his life. I mean, cameras at his home, cameras while he's on the road um, and, and kind of getting, and you don't even know like what probably ended up in the film was what? 10%, maybe 20% of what you shot. And so you, it takes a lot of time on your part. Like talk to me about the investment on both of y'all sides to pull this off. It, you know, I will say this, uh, you know, to Conrad's credit or to his passion around the area of teaching, he could see that that it would be important and would connect with people. So that's why he agreed to do it originally. Um, and so then we also, this tour that he did for a year wasn't just him, it was him, his wife, and both their two young children. So they all 
you know, I, I wanted to make sure the entire family was on board. Um, cause like you said, yeah, we, uh, we filmed them for almost two years on and off. Uh, and then they also filmed themselves with their home video camera and then gave us all of that footage, um, to help work into the film. So it is, and a lot, and a, you know, it's a small independent production. So a lot of times on the road, it would be their 26 foot RV, uh, Conrad, Jenny, their two boys, their dog, and then me and all my gear mm-hmm. all inside the RV, um, traveling from state to state, doing shows, doing interviews. Um, so yeah, you, it's intimate. It's very, <laughs> intimate is a very polite word for it. Uh, <laughs> So yeah, you you got to and and a hundred percent to their credit, they were amazing about sharing their story. They're incredible. Well, that's great. So okay, so he goes on the road, and this isn't just like following some guy playing music. Like there is a intertwined story of the struggles I guess he was having in education, and and he actually like talks to other teachers and audiences about this. Is that right? Yeah, uh, I, I you know it it's tough to sum Conrad up. Uh, real quickly, but you know, he's a very humble person. Uh, he comes, uh, we discuss in the film, he comes from a Mennonite background. Uh, mm-hmm. He's no longer a Mennonite, but he comes from a, a, a religion that's all about service and a bit of self-sacrifice and, and humbleness. Um, Nothing so flashy, he, right? Right, exactly. And so he, he, he knew he had to take a break from teaching he had been doing music long enough that he had a fan base. Um, he had put out a couple of records that got internationally recognized from like Billboard and New York Times and things like that. So he, it was it was an avenue to make money, but he didn't want to go out and just use it as a as a job. So he thought, you know, I have this platform. I'm speaking in front of people every night, or I have the option to speak in front of people. So he really wanted to use it. Um, as a way to just talk about, uh, spe- initially talk about special education, and then it kind of expanded into this, con- you know, more um, uh, bigger umbrella of teacher burnout. Well, okay. Um, so when you're filming yeah. this and you're there, and you, or you're even seeing the private conversations that aren't on film, what what type of feedback is he getting? I'm sure I'm guessing he's on stage and he's maybe making some comments between songs or something. Is are are people mm-hmm. coming up to him afterwards and saying, "Hey, that's me"? Yeah. So it's interesting. Like his music maybe more so now it speaks a little more directly to the teacher experience or sort of the, the advocacy protest song that you might think of when you think of like Woody Guthrie uh, being a little more hitting the nail on the head. Um, but there's still, it's a lot of metaphors. It's a lot of songs about, you know, love and, uh, hard times. It's not, it's not like he gets up and sings about being a teacher for an hour. Um, But he is, like exactly like you said, he's using some time in between songs sometimes to get pretty in the weeds about what he felt teachers were going through or what students with special needs are facing in the classroom to try and uh, use that performance to build some some awareness among his audience. And uh, if you're a teacher, I'll tell you right now, you're a real sexy person and you're doing a phenomenal job in what you're trying to do Monday through Friday. We wanted to try to utilize music and create a discussion of why is it getting harder and harder and harder each year. Um, and then afterwards, what we would film and find is that, you know, there's always at least four to five teachers in the audience because they either know his story or they know 
they're curious to find out what he's going to say. Um, and then, yeah, we're hearing teachers at every show, like you'll see in the film, who are saying they, they're up against the same exact thing. As an individual, it breaks you. It just can crush you. You're going to spend more later if you don't fix it now. And you're struggling because you're like, I just want to teach. I just want to teach. You know, the, the, the long class hours, the, the lack of resources. Um, and we heard that part of what Conrad wanted to find out was, you know, they were in South Texas and he was like, it's a struggle here, but is it a struggle everywhere? And so by engaging those audiences from Texas to New York, to Miami, to Los Angeles, we heard the same thing from teachers nationally. I don't want you to give anything away, but because I don't want to say like, you know, does it have a happy ending? But tell me this. I mean, what was there a takeaway? Did he have a clear vision about education after spending a few years doing this? I think, uh, you know, we when we set out to make the film, we ne- we didn't set out to provide an answer per se of like, here's how we fix it. And there are other films I think that maybe address that a little more head on. They're like, here's what's wrong with mm-hmm. public ed. Here's how we fix it. Um, our film. And I think Conrad's pursuit was a little bit more of um, just questions, right? Like we all have a lot of questions. Let's, let's, let's start the conversation. I think our film is to be honest. I think our film is more of a conversation starter. Um, and so I I will say this without giving away too much, you know, during the course of the filming, Conrad had a lot of success uh, with his music, both financially and in terms of recognition and kind of was offered some opportunities to take his music to the next level. Um, and then kind of had to decide, right? Where, where is my passion as, you know, do I right. follow this pursuit of being uh, an artist who can reach people and advocate, or do I go back? Really want to commit to the classroom? And so tell me what happened. That- no, this needs to fail so I can go back in the classroom. Uh, yeah. So that that I, I will say that kind of becomes the pivotal point of the film, um, and you know, hopefully, again, without giving away too much, but I hope that teachers and audiences um, are both informed by the film and inspired. And even if you're not a teacher, just to see Conrad's level of passion about what he thinks can help the world and how we can, as individuals, can help the world, I think is really inspiring. And it certainly, you know, I find him to be incredible. And and hopefully we captured some of that in, in the film. You probably spent, I don't know how long editing this, but if you're going through all of his footage and all of your footage over a couple of years here and there, I mean, there was probably a lot of raw video to go through. And, and as you were doing that, did you find anything that was just really emotional, even for you as, as somebody who's on the outside, not him? You know, we heard so many people, uh, and like you were saying, a, a tenth of them made it into the film. Um, I, I think one of the interesting takeaways is mm-hmm. just, you know, and it's kind of a cliche that like, oh, you know, there's this sort of vibe in our country that like, oh, we love our teachers. They're awesome. But we, but then we don't provide them with a sustainable framework. Right. So I I think for me, it was just being able to meet so many teachers across the country of various ages, backgrounds, races, whatever, 
um, who were willing to go in and, and stick out this fight. And, you know, the teachers that we talked to that weren't able to stick it out, the ones that did have to walk away from the classroom forever, you know, it was heartbreaking because their passion is, is in the classroom. But you could just tell, like, you can't, a, a human being can only do so much. Uh, well, which, which leads us to the title. It's yeah. called When It Breaks, right? And, and I'm assuming that is talking about just the pressure of, of being a teacher. Am I right? Yeah, absolutely. And it actually, it comes, the, the title comes from a song that Conrad had recorded years ago that was less, had, was framed much less in this sort of context of teacher uh, burnout. But he has since re-recorded for this most recent album he just put out. And yeah, is absolutely like what what do you do? Like you know, the system is some would argue it's broken, like we're past that point. So now what do you do? Um, and just personally, what do you do when you're faced with horrific adversity, but you feel like you're doing the right thing? How do you balance that? And how do you balance your family in that context, you know, into that context right. as well? Well, I really want to watch this that you've got me and I really want to know how it ends. Like I really want to know what direction he goes with his life. Does he stick with the music or get back into education or, or some sort of hybrid? So if somebody wants to catch this, like what do they need to do? Yeah. So, uh, we are very excited. We are, uh, independently releasing the film on May 4th, uh, which is the beginning of teacher appreciation week, not by coincidence. Um, so, uh, you can go to our website, which is when it and then uh, you can click through the the film will be available to purchase as a digital file or to rent online. Um, yeah, starting May fourth, and we have pre orders available up till then at a discounted price. So we're just you know we we've done some live screenings here and there, and we had really great response, especially from teachers. So I'm just super super excited to finally be able to share this uh, with a wider audience. And what what's again that website winitbreaks.com. Yep. Just go to winitbreaks.com. We'll have uh, a big link there that you can click through and you can purchase it all online. We try to keep it uh, as simple as possible. And um, yeah, we're, we're just, we're excited that, that people are going to get to see it. Like you said, it was a labor of love uh, for several years. And so now to be able to share it with a, with a wider audience, especially considering the, the situation that teachers and parents are in right now, uh, given the the health scenario that's going on. Um, I think it's a even better time for us to take a minute and appreciate our teachers and figure out how we can help support them and, and better our own education system. We could not agree more, Todd, too. Again, this is really cool. So glad that somebody is putting a focus on on teacher burnout and, and has done it so eloquently with film. Uh, again, it looks really high quality stuff and uh, we appreciate everything you're doing. Uh, what's your next project? Are you sticking with, with Conrad or are you going a totally different direction? Uh, that is a good question. We've put, uh, you know, as a, as a dad and a husband and a filmmaker and uh, a freelance uh freelance film and video production person who's now completely on hold due to right. the coronavirus. You can't go shoot at anyone's business. Like, no one wants to get Right. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know what the next step is. We're really, I, I mean, it sounds kind of trite, but to be honest, we, we put so much time into making this film. We're really putting a lot of energy in uh, right now to making sure it gets promoted and, and gets in front of as many people as possible because we don't want to have sunk five years into the film 
to then just post it online and say, best of luck. So we're really, we're trying to follow through right now. And that's kind of the, the preoccupation uh, work-wise of what we're doing. And then we'll see what happens a little bit further down the road. Well, Todd, again, uh, we appreciate you uh, coming on Class Dismissed to talk about When It Breaks. You can check out the new film at winitbreaks.com. Thanks. Thank you. That's going to do it for this episode of Class Dismissed. If you want to send us an idea or comment, remember you can always email us at info at classdismissedpodcast.com or tweet us at classdismiss. We're here to support educators, but we need your support as well. So please subscribe to the show. And we'd also appreciate it if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes. On behalf of all the good people working at School Status and Christina, representing all those educators out there, thank you for listening. I'm Nick Ortigo, and I'll talk with you next week. Class dismissed.